This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Stay in the game, are very dominant against the formerly uh, flying side. Um, controlled the game, played really good stuff, created a chance, a lot of chances. Yeah, and then you concede the 2-2 after a wonderful 2-1. Um, and look, it's now really tricky. Eh? Different things happen today. The, 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 the tight upside, I would say, I don't know. They didn't see the first one with Virgil and then how Pickford goes in there. I think if it's not offside, it's a clear penalty, so it's nothing. It's not even yellow or whatever. I don't understand these kind of decisions, to be honest. Um, and I saw only briefly now in a dressing room, somebody showed me the situation with the, with the Henderson goal, and I don't know um, where, where the line is and where you can do offside. I, I just don't understand it. Um, so yes, obviously we, we should have won this game, but we didn't. So and we accept that, obviously. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. That was Jurgen Klopp, unhappy with a couple of decisions in the Merseyside derby over the weekend. Don't you know? <laughs> Hello, it is Monday evening. It's me, Ross. This is Off the Ball. It's our post-mortem of the weekend's action. We also include previews of the midweek Champions League and Europa League. Can't say fairer than that. You can tweet at BFM Radio as usual. You can also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, my guests this Monday evening then, uh, Craig Wilkie is here wearing his red top, shall we say. Hello, Craig. Good evening, Ross. Yes. Not much to talk about this weekend. No, 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 no. It could be a very short show indeed. Arvin Sidhu is also here because Leeds are playing tonight. Hello, Arvin. Hello, everyone. So much to go through. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun today. All this before your favourite team even plays. Great stuff. Cam Raslan is also here to make sure that these two don't go overboard. Isn't that right, Cam? Uh, Yeah, and you don't go overboard about Manchester United. Me? Never. Second win of the season, there's nothing to sing about. (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's start with the early kickoff, the game that, wow, I mean, it all happened, didn't it? It it was a Merseyside derby, it was a Saturday dinnertime kickoff. Everton 2, Liverpool 2. I'm going to come to you first, Cam. I mean, full of incident. Um, Generally... Good advert for the game. What was it? Was it right that these were the top two going head to head? Yeah, if we take out the the the, the bad uh, fouls, then you know it was a good match, and you saw some of the best players doing their thing. I think James Rodriguez was again really excellent, and uh, Everton were performing in uh, a, a, an open way, so diff, so different from last season. But then you had these terrible fouls, and well, we, I, we're going to have to talk about them, I guess. Well, Pickford in particular. All right. let's, let's start with the first one. Now, the bad news is Virgil van Dijk looks like he's done his ACL. But, but by all the reports that we've read, he could be out seven to eight months. And the reason for that was Jordan Pickford, the Everton goalkeeper, plowed into Virgil van Dijk. Now, it wasn't even the incident that was focused on. Because uh, it was an offside, and then it kind of carried on. Craig, can you explain it better without being biased? <laughs> I don't know if I can do either of those things. Uh, well, I mean, where, where to even start with this game? It it did have a little bit of everything: the the good, the bad, and the ugly of of the Premier League and everything that we've seen so far this season. And I think the real shame is that at the end of what was a really good football match, and we have to give a lot of credit to the players for the performances that they put in, given the fact that most of them had just come back from international duty, they had very little time to prepare for that game. You know, I thought Liverpool's performance was excellent, mm. especially given what it was the last time out against Villa. But what we're left talking about, unfortunately, are a couple of really terrible, I'm not even sure whether to call them refereeing decisions or VAR decisions. It's now a grey area to me, actually, to who's, who's deciding on, on those things. But I... The fundamental problem I have with, with VAR is this. And when we talk about the Liverpool's winner that was ruled out, it's fundamentally changing the nature of the game. Because in every previous season prior to VAR, when I was growing up, that was a goal. And because 
if you're, a, if you're a coach and you're coaching your forwards, you say to them, okay, especially in that position where you're out wide, you're looking along the line, you can see the entire Everton back four, you make sure that you're level with them and then you're on side. And, and Mane was at least level. Nobody, nobody is going to tell me that Mane wasn't level yeah, with that well, back four. So well, he's uh, done ex exactly the right thing. I, I, was, I, was then, reading, I was reading the official, apparently his elbow, his elbow was slightly more offside. <laughs> well, well, this is the thing, right? And that's so it's, it's not only a question of VR, it's a question of the rules and how we interpret them. Do we really want to be in a situation whereby offside is determined by an elbow or an armpit hair or whatever it turns out to be on the day? You know, the Liverpool players were joking about it, although I'm sure they, they didn't find it that funny. You know, I think Robertson said maybe his toenail was offside, something like that. Um, but there's no, there was no attempt to gain an advantage in being in the position that he was. Mm. You know, he'd, only timed, he'd only timed his run as best he could. And, and for me, he's onside all day. And I, that, that, I, even then the thing is, when you come to technology and you draw the lines yeah. and you look at the lines and you think, well, first of all, where are they drawing it against? You know, is it the elbow? Is it the arm? Is it the hip? Whatever it might be, both on the attacking player and the defender. And it's, it's such a messy area. And the whole point of AR was it comes in to make sure that if there's a clear and obvious error, we can overturn it. Yeah. So that we don't end up having these sorts of debates after the game. And can we actually help the referees to make the right decisions? And I don't think we saw that on Saturday. I, I think that that goal being ruled out was actually the VAR official. The, the on-pitch on referee, you could see he was, he, was, he was listening to his earpiece the minute the goal went in, just to see whether that was okay. But Arvin, I mean, that aside, we saw Richarlison sent off for a tackle on Thiago, which was, wow. <laughs> Farmers League, hello. <laughs> um, should Jordan Pickford have gone? I mean, the, the, the reasoning was because there was a punishment. There was a free kick before for offside. So Jordan Pickford's plowing down of Virgil van Dijk didn't count. There's a reason why this game is the most carded game in Premier League history. And the, the, on the weekend, it showed why. Now, with Jordan Pickford, I, I, when I looked at that challenge, granted, it, it's, an, it's an awful challenge, right? It's an awful challenge. But for me, it, it represents a goalkeeper in desperation. It represents a goalkeeper under pressure, a player who's not too sure of himself. It was panic. It was reckless. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it was very... It wasn't malicious. It didn't come across as malicious. Granted, what they looked at after that was seeing whether Virgil van Dijk was offside. The, the, the whistle has blown. There's a bit of grey area on that. Now, Richarlison. Richarlison, on the other hand, he went in to, to literally look at hurting someone. That was such a dangerous tackle. I mean, the studs were up. And then on top of that, he goes on social media and he apologizes. He apologizes for what's happened. He says, I've apologized privately to Thiago. Okay, good. That's good. And then a Brazilian site tweets back to him and shows him a picture where he asks him, are you sure that this is a dangerous flower? And Richardson replies and goes, actually, maybe it wasn't so dangerous. So why did you apologize in the first place? If you're <laughs> sincere what you've done wrong, yeah. you come out and you be clear about it. But this, this for me, the Richarlison one for me, he deserves a ban, complete red card. The John Pickford one, I still, I still feel a little bit of sorry for the guy because I think he's a man really under pressure and a man who's just not too sure what, what's happening around him. He was reckless. He was just, yeah. So yeah. two very different ones, but Liverpool have every reason to be aggrieved because they could have got both, both the, the Pickford one should have gone their way as well. So, well, can, can I ask a question though with the Pickford thing? If the and I agree with you, Arvin. I think that it's a sign of desperation. I have a theory that players, when they start pointing a lot and they start doing yes. really bad tackles, it's a sure sign that they're in trouble. <laughs> Apart from Paul Scholes, who used to do all of those things. <laughs> even and Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. But, but can I just ask, if the play has been stopped, then everything that happens after that is out of play. Yep, supposedly. So, if, if, so therefore, you can't be carding or doing anything about um, Pickford the only thing, the only people who can at that point are the police. But but they, 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 there's there's a reverse argument of that. That at the end of the game, if a referee has blown the whistle and something bad happens, he can still send a player this off. This is it. So, and isn't that the whole point of VAR to actually exactly. on pitch as quickly as possible? Because we've all watched the game from the year dot. You know, anybody knows that was just that was that was vicious. That was malicious. Mm. That was foul play and more. 
uh, regardless of whether the referees, it's like you you blow a whistle for a free kick, and then somebody goes, "Oh, all right, then then this punch won't won't count, then will it?" <laughs> and he smacks somebody. But okay, football aside, Everton were good though, weren't they, Cam? They 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 are yes. the real deal this season. I think they're the real deal. I'm just a little bit concerned that perhaps mild-mannered Ancelotti sent them out a bit too hyped up. Um, although but I maybe think that's the, the only was, way to go with this Everton, though. Maybe, maybe. Well, I think they've got a lot of skill and a lot of uh, panache, really, mm. that, that they don't really need to do that. And uh, so I, I, that would be my one area of concern. But I think, I guess, I think they're the real deal. Now, Craig, incidents aside, Liverpool relinquished the lead twice. So, again, question marks about the defensive ability. And now with uh, Virgil van Dijk likely to be out, do you trust Gomez and co to, to be able to, to keep things tight at the back for you? Not entirely, I've got to be honest. Um, there, there's been a little bit of vulnerability around that Liverpool defence for a while, even with van Dijk at the heart of it. That was true, I think, when the Premier League restarted after the whole COVID situation. It's been a little bit true at the start of this season. You know, if we think back to the Leeds game, for example, on the opening day, and definitely it's a huge loss though, Van Dijk, not just in a defensive circumstance, but also the way he plays the ball out from the back. He really sets the whole team up in the way that, way that he plays. So it's, it's an area of concern now for sure. I actually prefer Fabinho going back and playing there. I thought he had a really good game at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Uh, he would be my first choice to go and fill in for now. But it's definitely, teams are going to look at Liverpool and say, yeah, they're a bit more vulnerable than they were before. So it's a massive, massive blow. All right. Well, that point in the Merseyside derby, enough to keep the blue half of Merseyside top of the table going into match week six. So let's move on. To, I mean, we, we could just do a whole hour on the Merseyside derby, but we can't because there's so many other things to talk about. Uh, more about Liverpool in the Champions League later on. Um, let's move on and, and talk about Man City. They were reeling from a loss before the international break. They, they had a big game at home against Arsenal. And stand-in skipper Raheem Sterling, Arvin, scored the only goal of the game as they returned to winning ways. Aguero came back from injury, started, and then became very sexist with Sean Messi on the touchline. <laughs> but, I mean, how was that game for you? Are, are City back to their best? Uh, not fully back to their back, back to their best yet, but this is Groundhog Day for me for Arsenal. I mean, seven straight defeat at, at to Man City, the Etihad. They haven't beaten a big six team away for God knows how many years. They've been beaten again. Granted, yes, uh, Ateta has improved them, but um, there is still that mentality block where they're not able to get across the line when it comes to playing these big six teams, especially away from home. Uh, with City, I thought Ruben Diaz was really good at the back. He's come in, he's had a whole defence to kind of shoulder on himself, but he's looked composed, strong, he looks always in control. Uh, Edison had really good saves, I thought, from Saka and Aubameyang as well. And Mares, whenever KDB is not there, just pay, pay, pay a bit of extra attention to Riyad Mares. Yeah. He, he flourishes in that role because he knows he's the main creator of that orchestra. And more often than not, he, he does well because he's so direct and he's so skillful. So some positive signs for City, but still not at that rampaging best that Pep would expect of them as of yet. Man City and Arsenal, Cam, are, are, you, you would say um, two contenders this season. Arteta's done amazing work at Arsenal. But, but City, do they still look a little bit short of players for you? I don't know. I mean, this season's been so crazy. And so this match was not six goals. And so I was a bit bored. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but that, I think, is a good thing for City, that they did uh, manage to grind out a, uh, a game and hold a lead. Arsenal, uh, you know, C City have inherited the Arsenal way of playing. And Arsenal have had a terrible uh, run against Pep Guardiola. They haven't won at all since Guardiola came in. So they've got a hoodoo there. I, I think it was a good sign for City that it was that they it was kind of boring. Mm. They, they have a few injury problems. Emmerich Laporte apparently uh, injured in the build-up to the game. So they, they're short up front, City. But Arsenal, uh, Craig, um, Mikel Arteta even brought on Thomas Partey, the big money signing. He had a little run out. 
he's going along the right lines. What are they missing still to, to be able to put in a, a proper challenge for you? Oh, it's a very good question. I mean, Arsenal, we've spoken about before, they're definitely a work in progress. But I think finally under Arteta, we, we really can see some of that progress. And I felt the game on at the weekend was, it wasn't the greatest game in the world, as Cam alluded to. It was a little bit dull. I think both sides cancelled each other out a little bit. And City, you could tell how much they missed De Bruyne. But actually, Arteta definitely went there to, to keep it tight. He definitely wanted it to be that sort of a game. He didn't really want to open up and, and let City come at his team. So he's trying to, I think, also make sure that Arsenal can play in different types of ways. You know, they've got to make sure that at home they can play in that way where they can break teams down that are going to sit back and defend against them. But when they go away against some of the bigger teams, they're going to have to keep it a bit tighter. Now, as we've said, they, they, their record there still isn't great, you know, against some of the bigger sides. But I think the results that Arteta has started to have you know, winning a trophy and some of the performances they put in, you know, they beat Liverpool, albeit after Liverpool had won the league last season, it starts to build confidence and a bit of momentum. And I think ultimately that's what Arsenal need. They need to actually really believe that they can go to places like City and come away with a win. And they're mm. not quite there yet, but we can see that they're starting to go in, in that direction. Now, they still, you look at that squad and there's still a couple of areas that I'm still not convinced by Louise as a, as a centre half. So there's probably one area that you could look at strengthening. The midfield as well for me, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of decent players in there, but is there someone who can really come in? You know, they were linked with Coutinho, for example, someone who can come in and unpick defences. That's probably an area that they want to look at as well. I think Willian's a great signing. By mm. I think he will really add something to the squad as a whole, help the players around him. So, yeah, there's a long way to go, but if you're an Arsenal fan, it's a lot more optimistic than it was maybe even this time last year or six months ago even. Right, that Man City win then was Pep Guardiola's 500th win. Uh, in all competitions as a manager. He's 172nd as Man City boss. So good stuff, uh, an important win for City as well. And I, I think Arteta and Arsenal can, can still hold their heads up high. I'm, I'm, they, everybody is in, in agreement. They, they're along the right lines. Maybe you couldn't say that for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea 3, Southampton 3. This game was good fun. And I'm sure Cam watched it because there was lots of goals in this one, Cam. Yeah, this was Chelsea at its finest and worst. That Thibaut Werner is such an exciting prospect. His two, or indeed three, one this allowed, his two goals were just absolutely beautiful. But what is Chelsea's defence policy? You know, defence starts at the front. But no, no, not for Chelsea. Defence for them starts with picking the ball up from the back of the net. They, they, they just don't seem to take part in this thing called defence. What the hell? <laughs> Arvin... Frank Lampard was seething after the game. Uh, he said, look, we've got to cut out individual errors. I mean, Chelsea, we all know defensively they may be suspect, but they've spent a lot of money reinforcing the, the attack. They've got a world-class attack. Timo Werner, his first two goals in the EPL. Um, uh, I don't know. I've, what can you do? I mean, he can't sign anyone now to January. No, and it's up to him. And it's not just a matter of buying good defenders like Thiago Silva and Ben Chilwell. You have to make the team be able to defend collectively. Now, uh, like what we, what we spoke about, we saw the good of Chelsea and we saw the really bad of Chelsea in this game. Two game of two halves. But the first half, the reason Chelsea looked so good is because Southampton didn't press them. The moment that Southampton started pressing them, they started surrendering possession. They started conceding goals. All the three goals that they conceded came from defensive mistakes. Yeah. Kai Havertz losing the ball. Yeah. Kurt Zuma, a yeah. weak back pass. And with Kep if you start with Kepa, you're already one goal down anyway. Right? So, poor I mean, fellow, right? I'm a, poor, I'm a poor guy. But, but I mean, in this sense, you cannot, Chelsea, you cannot spend 200 million, not on defenders, but a squad. You cannot spend 200 million plus and be shipping in six goals against, in totals against the likes of West Bromwich Albion and Southampton. It just doesn't work in that sense. Granted, Southampton is a very enterprising team, but the board, Roman Abramovich, they will be looking for much better. And we said this a couple of weeks ago, the longer this progresses, the longer he doesn't eradicate what this issue is, it's going to come back and bite him because he's not going to get anywhere with this kind of defending. And another point as well, Ross, I, I was just watching the game really closely. I've never seen Angolo Conte have a, a, a worse game than he did on the mm. weekend. He, he was, was all over the place. Head he was absolutely bad. He was misplacing passes. He looked yeah. way out the pace. He was bringing people down nasally. And that's a concern because even Golo Kante is not helping. The one man that you hope that will help, the rest of the team, it doesn't bode well. So, 
Do you guys reckon Roman is already a little bit in his mind doubting Frank and already looking at his black book going, hmm, who shall I have? Tuchel? Guardiola? Do you, do you reckon? Or, 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 or Frank is still all right? I think Roman Abramovich actually wants out from the whole Chelsea enterprise. Uh, if, if given the chance, he would sell it. And He's he plowed in a lot of money. Yeah. Well, if he, he wants out, it's not like Mike Ashley wants out. Yeah, but I mean, what what is the? I don't know what the purpose is of the money that he's spent. This Russian money, I think that it may have come to an end. Um, so I think Abramovich is probably. It, I feel a lack of interest anyway, from from him. Okay, let's let's give give Southampton some credit here because Ralph Hasenhuttle has really solidified. He I, for me, he's made Southampton a Premier League side. That there's no real danger, Craig Wilkie, of them getting relegated this season. And that's quite that's saying something, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I feel like Chelsea have taken this sponsorship deal with three mobile a little bit too far. There must be some clause in, <laughs> clause in that, game. right? Which, <laughs> they're, de- they're definitely getting their money's worth. But yeah, and Southampton, similarly, when it comes to Hasenhuddle, I mean, he's had some, he's had some ups and downs. He's had a few yeah. tricky res- results some along the way. as well. But you have to give them so much credit. And Arvin was absolutely right. They didn't start the game well at all. Chelsea dominated the first half hour and Southampton looked out of it. It was important that they got the goal back just before halftime. I think that really gave them a bit of belief going into the interval and coming out for the second half. But when they did, what impressed me most was you can talk about fight and you can talk about character and the grit and you would expect all of that as you know, professionals trying to come, and come back and get themselves back into the game. But the way they just kept playing... You know, they, they trust in the, the philosophy of their manager. They trust in the way that he wants to play. They're actually quite an attractive side to watch now, yeah. the way to get the ball down. And, you know, I think Walcott as well, you know, what, what an addition he looked like. And he was playing a little bit further inside, more in a playmaker role, got on the ball, was, was spreading it around, you know, really making things happen. And then when you've got a guy like Danny Ings up front in the sort of form that he's been in, then you're always going to have a chance. So as you say, definitely now you wouldn't have any any concern about getting relegated as a Southampton fan. The question is how far you might go up the league. And in a crazy season like this, it's, you know, really, really hard to predict. But they've got a lot of good players. They're playing really well. They've got a manager who seems to know what he's doing. So, again, exciting times for Southampton fans. Yeah, Che Adams is coming good for them as well. And, and that, that's a credit to Hassan Hartle. All right, then, first break. Stick with us. Uh, back with so much more right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Back with Cam Roslan, with Craig Wilkie and with Arvin Sidhu. Uh, looking back at the weekend's EPL action, uh, Manchester United won a game. Woohoo! They went away to Newcastle to St. James's Park, scored all the goals in the game, in fact, and missed the penalty. Uh, Newcastle won, Man United four. Um, I watched it. This was a 3 a.m. kickoff, Cam, and it was really difficult on a Saturday because it was like the last game. And then two minutes in, that's an own goal. And I'm going, I'm swearing at the telly. I'm thinking, no, I better not chuck my teacup at it because I don't want to buy a new telly. But you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was stressful, but it came good in the end, Cam. Okay, well, I want to ask you then. So it came good in the end, but when that own goal happened, did you think, okay, this is, this is Manchester United now. This is what happens to them. And then when you watch the goals, Sir Marcus Rashford uh, sc- scoring all those goals, you think, oh, this is different. I tell, you what, I tell you what was different. Um, yeah, conceded after two minutes, really angry, sweary mood. But almost immediately, they tried to play football. And that got me watching. That re- I mean, I, they tried passing the ball. I, I, I don't know. Now, I would say the side Solskjaer put out uh, on Saturday was his Carabao Cup side. You know, it, it didn't... You know, it was, it was a midfield where he had Fred and McTominay and... For me, that's the more attacking side. Um, I don't know. What, what, what do you think, Craig Wilkie? I mean, United are, are a game behind everybody else. It's two wins, two losses. It's strange to say this, but he's still rebuilding, isn't he? Yes. I, it's, it's such a strange season. And it's so hard, I think, to judge any of the teams thus far. It's been such a topsy-turvy season. 
I, I agree with you. You know, it was a, maybe a slightly surprising team selection. I thought Mata was superb. You know, he's, he showed some of the class that we've associated with him over the years. Maybe in the last couple of seasons, he hasn't been able to do it as consistently as was once the case. But I really thought that when he got a grip of the game, that's when Manchester United started to play. And again, I think Fernandez for me, has just had such a transformative effect on the football club. On and off the field, he seems to be one yeah. of those characters that Agreed. just gets every, did you hear everybody... His po- did you hear his post-match? He speaks like he he should be the captain. Yeah, he, spe- he speaks like he's the captain, the manager, the owner, everything. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's, he's come in and there were question marks, right? There were question marks of could he step up and, and do it at that level? And he answered them straight away. And what, what impresses me about him is that from that first game that he played, he was bossing players around on that park. He believed that he belonged at that level. He was showing the quality that convinced United to go out and, and sign him. And even in the dressing room, from, from what I hear, the reports are that he's the one who's geeing everybody up at halftime, making sure that he sets the standards in a very Roy Keane sort of a way. You know, this is Manchester United. These sorts of things don't happen here. I heard he was very angry halftime in, in the Spurs game. And, and he came good again and showed those flashes. And I think his, his link-up play with Rashford on occasion was just really exciting for Manchester United fans. And yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot... There's a lot to be hopeful about, but defensively still, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's, where the, that's where the question mark remains. Although I will say I was very happy for Harry Maguire because he's been through was, such a tough yeah, yeah. Of, of late. And I think, you know, we've, we've also given him some stick here on this show and some of it he's deserved, but he's kind of kept his head down and, and battled through it a little bit. And it was good to see him get a goal and have something to smile about. What I liked about Harry Maguire was when he scored that goal and, and actually put in quite an assured performance for Harry Maguire, he didn't stick two fingers up to the camera and go, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He was, he was quiet and he was reserved and he kept himself to himself, which I thought was good. But Arvin Sidhu, are we doing Newcastle an injustice here? They, they weren't 4-1 bad, were they? Because there were, there were bits when St. Maximan, well, he, he caused that first own goal with his run. Yeah. Um, so with Newcastle, I don't feel that they deserve the 4-1 scoreline, like you said. Um, but when you look at the underlying facts of Newcastle United, it's a team that, since the start of the season, in a way, has been riding its luck. It's got, I think, the most shots on goal against them in the five matches. 86 or 87 shots on goal. This shows that they're not stopping players who are attacking them. They're allowing shots to come on goal. And as well as Carl Darlow has done, and eventually Dubraka will come in, as, lo- as well as the keepers have done, eventually those are going to go in. And it proved on the weekend. Um, granted, there have been some really good signings. I would have to have to say Jeff Hendrick coming in has been really good. Callum Wilson will get you goals. So the recruitment has been has been has been done well. But Steve Bruce needs to go back to his moniker of being the dull Steve Bruce, the one that shuts out teams, the one that stops teams shooting against them. If they do that, they'll be fine. As you know, Newcastle with Mike Ashley neither here nor there. Uh, but on the weekend, I felt that they deserved a little bit better than losing 4-1, to be honest. Yeah, uh, gotta gotta mention David De Gea's save from Callum Wilson was was pretty top draw that one where he clawed it away. Uh, all right, I, I haven't seen you so happy uh, all season, Ross. Do you know what? I mean, despite having one win already, this is actually the first sign of the club I actually love. And the reason why they actually tried to play football—that's that. It's not difficult to win fans back, really. I mean, you know what I mean. It's a really simple game. We all love it. Um, all right, Let, let's not get over ourselves. Um, good win for United, uh, but but let's move on and <clears throat> and talk about Tottenham on Friday's show. I asked the guys if under Jose Mourinho this season, Tottenham could actually challenge. And, and, well, it was 50-50. Actually, no. Most of them said no. <laughs> but, but Tottenham's title challenge lasted for about 45 minutes in this game. Didn't they, Craig Wilkie? When they went 3-0 up, no, I, was, I was switching between IPL cricket on the cricket channel, which was great because two games of cricket went, on, went down to the uh, final uh, playoff death over. But that's, that's another show. <laughs> Uh, I'm from Scotland. I've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but Spurs, Craig. I mean, Jose and Spurs. They they were great. They were three 0 up. They were tearing West Ham apart. Right. I t- I tell you what. I went to bed at half time in that game, so I I was, <laughs> I was a little bit surprised when I woke up and and checked the result. 
And, well, I mean, what, what a Jekyll and Hyde game. I mean, Spurs, albeit West Ham, let them play. I mean, West Ham were very, yeah. very poor in that first half. And West Ham just did not do the basics of defending. They didn't press the ball. They didn't track runners. They didn't stay tight and make themselves compact. But that said, Spurs really took advantage of it. And the partnership that's developing between Kane and Son is really something. And I saw an interesting piece of analysis after the game whereby Kane was starting to be compared to Teddy Sheringham. And I thought that was a really good piece of insight, actually. And he the is way now he, this season the, because he's dropping that, so deep. Exactly. Well, it's not just the fact that he's dropping. The way he's varying his game is that sometimes he'll stay up and he'll play as a target man and sometimes he'll drop off. And he seems to be developing that understanding of when to do one and when to do the other. And he's got perhaps a better awareness and range of passing than maybe we've given him credit for in the past. We've sort of seen him as a bit of an old-fashioned centre forward maybe sometimes. But he's not. He's got, a, he's got a good touch. He can bring others into play. And when he and Son are on form like that, of course, you've got Bale coming into the mix now. He only had a little bit of a cameo last night. But... From an attacking point of view, it's very exciting from, for Spurs fans. But the thing is, with Mourinho, you always assume what he's going to do is he's going to tighten up that defence. He's going to make them difficult to beat. He's going to make sure that in transitions, his teams get back and they're all in the right positions. And ever since he went to Spurs, that, that hasn't happened at all. And it was an extraordinary game last night, the way it ended. How much credit do we give to West Ham for that second half then, Cameraslan? Uh, uh, David Moyes... Uh, I- had been working from home the two previous games when, when they scored four and one. Uh, but I, I was actually, I was pleasantly surprised. When I, when I switched back, I was like, oh, three, two, let's watch the rest of this. And then, whoa! <laughs> well, uh, yes, West Ham, uh, Jose Mourinho's next club. You heard it here. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, but Spurs, five, 15 minutes, three goals up, shipping th- three goals in the last eight minutes, two set pieces, one own goal. Uh, yes, this is that, that kind of tally. That's very moisy. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you would expect it not, that Mourinho would not let in goals like exactly. that. Exactly. There's a, either he's, he doesn't care or there's a lack of communication and commitment with the team to defend against a set piece. And they were the, both the same set pieces. Uh, so, uh, yes, credit to Moyes just being Moyes, but something has gone horribly wrong with He's, Spurs back there. Jose just needs another five defenders on the bench so that he can bring them on, bring them on ad hoc during, during a game. Uh, but we saw an 18-minute cameo of, of Gareth Bale, Arvin. Son and Kane, we know already what a deadly partnership. And again, they showed Son is just absolutely superb. And if you add Bale to that, you give him time to bed in. That is super world class. It is. Um, and when you, when you watch Spurs play the next time, the moment that Harry Kane gets the ball, don't look at Harry Kane. Just look at Son. You, you would immediately see him running into yeah. a channel and on, on the end of a ball. But with, with Bale, it was interesting. Um, a Spurs fan tweeted, um, oh, we are bringing on Bale and West Ham are bringing on Manuel Lanz. Yeah. And laugh, then laugh. With a laughing, laughing face. face. Now, yeah. now that, that didn't age too well, did it? Um, yeah, but Bale, <laughs> Bale it'll, it'll take a while. I mean, he hasn't played competitive football for a very, very long time. He is very sporadic with his appearances with Madrid. He had one opportunity with a free kick, kind of went straight at Fabianski. But if they're able to fix that, um, that trident in the front, it's going to be really deadly. And you get the, the feeling it, it's just a matter of time, don't you? Exactly, because Bale will not hunt the touchline. He's not that player anymore. Yeah. He will come inwards like how Son is, and you will have Kane surprisingly at the back, and you've got these two runners at the front coming in and. On their day itself, they will score against anyone. The telepathic understanding is already there between Kane and Son. They just need to put that in with Bale. Uh, but again, another signing regular did really well at left yeah, back as well. Got an assist, assist. For, yeah, got an assist as well. Uh, but yeah, with with Spurs, it was just it was just so funny. I mean, what they could do three goals in one half, West Ham could do it in fourteen minutes. So. That's there was a documentary this season, right? Exactly. That, that's season two of <laughs> exactly. All or Nothing. <laughs> All right. Uh, another break. Stick with us. Back right after this. Immediate thrust. Recognisable certainty. And a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out. Unchallenged. Unmarked. Makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. 
Hey, thanks for sticking with us. It is Monday evening. I'm Ross. This is Off The Ball. You can tweet at BFM Radio. You can also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel up and running, TFIF on video. Give us a, a, a check out and a subscribe, please. Uh, Right, let's move on and talk about the Midlands derby. It was the late, late, late game. And I've, well, I'll be honest with you, I fell asleep at various points of the game. I did manage to catch the last minute winner though, from Ross Barkley. And with that win, Arvin Sidhu, Aston Villa find himself second. Uh, after, well, with 100% record still intact, four wins from four games. Um, I'm not going to ask you if they're the real deal because. That's a silly question, but but how how good? I mean, you must. I, I personally feel happy for all the. I know lots of Villa fans. They haven't been happy recently in the last few years, but they're all over the moon. They're wearing shirts and stuff and walking around going. <laughs> I mean, they're the only team in in England's all. Five yes, go Glenn. We are talking about you. <laughs> they are, they're, they're the only team in England's all five divisions with a 100% record. I was looking around Europe and I believe the only other team that has that is AC Milan. So it's quite an, quite an interesting start to Villa for the season. But really, I mean, um, for, you start the season the way that they've done. And again, it, it bolts back to how recruitment has been so different for this season compared to last season. This season has been focused, has been what they need. Ross Barkley coming in, I feel it's, it's, a, it's a rejuvenation of his career. He's, he's got the same amount of goals now at Villa that he did in his entire Chelsea career. So that kind of shows you something already. He gives that opportunity for them for another option. Uh, Ollie Watkins shows like he's building a relationship with Grealish, which is going to be very deadly. And very interestingly, they've got a centre-back called Andre Konza. They've not had, they've considered, I want to think, three or four goals since he's been moved back to a centre-back position. Potential next England call-up for them. So it's boarding well and, you cannot say that it's just been easy games because they've had to play Liverpool. Now they've played Leicester away. Yeah. So credit to where it's good. Dean Smith is delivering what is needed. But uh, the question is, how long will it last? I, I don't think it will last that much longer. Eventual loss will come hopefully next weekend against Leeds. <laughs> he <laughs> says that tongue firmly <laughs> in cheek. Apparently, Ross Barkley had a dodgy knee. He was a major doubt for the game. So when he scored... Uh, he dedicated the goal to the Villa medical staff, uh, Craig Wilkie. It's something Darren Anderton would have done almost <laughs> every week back in the day. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, what's happened with Leicester here? I mean, last season we were talking about Leicester City top four Champions League. They started off the season house on fire. They won the first three and then lost the next two, Craig. Yeah, another, another club having us. Slightly strange start to the season. They're still in an okay position after yeah. five games. You know, they're still fourth or fifth in the league, something like that. But I look at it and they, they were quite poor. I, I give a lot of credit to Villa and everything that Arvin said was right. You know, the, the recruitment that they've made, the, the way that they've gone about their business has, has been fantastic. But Leicester at home in a derby like that, they just never really got going. And I thought they actually made it relatively straightforward for Villa last night. They, they just... They, I know Vardy missing, that's always uh, going to blunt their attack to quite a significant degree, but they never really looked like trading very much at all. And it must be such a frustration if you're a manager, you know, Brendan Rodgers. You look at this team, he's gone out and played the way that they did away against Manchester City just a couple of weeks ago. Scored five, looked absolutely sensational, creating chances everywhere. And then, you know, just two weeks later with more or less the same group of players, albeit with a couple out injured, and you put in a performance like that. And it's just, you know, we can say, well, there was the international break and so on. There's a break in momentum and, and that type of thing. But it's, it's been such a strange season in terms of the ups and downs of performances that managers really must be scratching their heads and wondering what they're going to get out of their players when it comes to midweek or when it comes to the following weekend. But Leicester, yeah, I think there's still a little bit of a hangover from last season in terms of the way it finished. And it, they looked so good for a Champions League place for so long. The wheels came off a little bit and it started to fall apart. And it was going to take a bit of time to recover from that. And they start the season okay, but I think they're still trying to work through some of that, what happened last season, and we'll see how that all pans out. But again, the way the season is going, who knows? Mm. It's, it's, really, it's really crazy. Yeah, interestingly, Leicester start their European campaign this week in the Europa League. Who do you prefer watching, Cam? Leicester or Aston Villa? 
Who's going to finish? I, high? I, oh, who's going to finish high? I think for Leicester, uh, for Leicester, if 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 this season ends with them at say sixth, that would be a good season uh, for a club their size. Realistically, that's about right. But uh, what I like about this season, what I'm really enjoying, is that I'm getting to know new teams. This is a new Villa compared to last season. I mean, compared to anything I've seen in the last t- 20 years almost. And uh, Leicester are like the, 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 the average, the mean. I mean, you have to get past Leicester to be able to prove that you're worth something. Uh, they, have, they have had dips and stuff. I, I would say that this Villa could be the real deal, and I would like to see them get to about fifth by the end of the season. Yeah? Wow. Yeah. That, that yeah. is a big shout. I think Villa fans are just going, as long as we're not bottom three, we're fine. <laughs> um, all right. Um, good win for Aston Villa. And, and yeah, <clears throat> uh, they are second in the table with a 100% record. Some of the other games that happened over the weekend, the other two games on, on Sunday uh, were both draws. Crystal Palace won, Brighton won. That one is the M23 derby. Now, you may not know about the M20. It's, it's a road from South London leading all the way down to Brighton. It's, it's considered a derby. They're over 50 miles apart. But bad blood, I believe, between Alan Mullery and Terry Venables back in the day has just carried on. Um, I, I don't know. Did you watch that game, Arvin Palace? Yeah, what, I did, what, what, I, I'm quite interested. To, I'm quite interested to see the demographics in the UK of who's going to pay 15 pounds for that pay per view. Do you know what I mean? My God, my God, you've got okay, fine. Brighton are, are brighter. They, they dominate possession. They're more enterprising. But Crystal Palace, my God, they're so dour, and the defensive shape that they have is so rigid to the point that it just bores you. Uh, but yeah, it was a tough one to get through. There were a couple of meaty challenges. I mean, Zaha and Ben White started off a little bit. Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah, a bit of a nickel there. Yeah, and, and Lewis Dunn trying to do a Jordan Pickford uh, audition at the end there, a tackle that he just didn't need to do. I mean, I, I don't know what, what goes through a mind of a player who is so seasoned and so mature, the club captain, a Brighton boy. Why would you go in like that on Gary Cahill when there was no chance of getting yeah. that ball and now he's going to be missing the games? But yeah, um, it would have been cruel for, for Brighton to come away without anything for this one. Because I Palace, think so too. Yeah, Palace, you get the penalty. And that's it. They they sit back. They, they get lucky with a with a ricochet. They take it. Brighton actually at least tried to play the game with Sully March and Trossard on the left. So yeah, it was a tough one for me to get through as well. But um, all fair points for both of them. Well done. No that's... wonder Zaha wants to leave, right? Playing <laughs> in that side. That's that's <laughs> massive credit to Arvin for watching that. I was totally <laughs> on the Indian Premier League at that time. <laughs> I, I actually I actually grew up halfway between those two. Uh, Towns, uh, well, clubs, <laughs> uh, which is why I have no interest in either of them. <laughs> I, I guess Palace were kind of my local side. Well, it was them in Charlton, and I don't like either. Well, I prefer Charlton. Um, all right, let's move on. That's the Premier League. There's still two games to go. We'll tell you about them later, but some massive games in Europe over the weekend. Uh, the old firm derby took place, and who knew, Craig Wilkie, Glasgow is blue, hey? It's not <laughs> green and white hoops, hey, hey, hey? Uh, it's been green and white hoops for a very long time. But, a very uh, long time. So, the, so Steven Gerrard, he's trying to stop Celtic winning their 10th consecutive title here. They're now four points clear at the top. I know it's early days, but is this, I mean, this is the closest anyone's come to challenging Celtic for ages. Since Rangers yeah, exactly. last time. <laughs> exactly. Well, when I heard that we were going to be talking about the big game in Scottish football, I obviously assumed it was going to be Dundee United versus Aberdeen. But, ah, okay, I, I guess I guess we'll talk about the old firm if you if you really want to. Yeah, you, you gotta give Gerard a lot of credit. He's since he came in a bit of you know, a lot of people raised their eyebrows when he took that job, you know. Was um was it the right place to go to try and start his managerial career and would he be able to take Rangers in difficult circumstances back to where that club wants to be, given the, you know, the financial difficulties that they've had and everything else over the last few years and the way in which, as a result, Celtic have been so absolutely dominant? Yeah. And I think it's, it's just a really good thing for, for the game in Scotland that we're going to have a real title challenge 
match this year. I think both clubs are going to take it all the way to the end, most likely, the way it started so far. And Gerard, who's done a good job since he, since he came into Rangers, this season has really taken it up a level. And especially defensively, their defensive record is absolutely phenomenal. I'm not sure how many goals they've conceded, but it's very, very few. He's really got that side well-drilled, got a great shape about them, and they've got some good attacking talent as well. And I think the thing that surprised everybody was how comfortable a win it was for Rangers. And we know, obviously, the old firm is all about the, yeah. the drama and the atmosphere and the fans. And so, as a spectacle, it was missing so much as a yeah. consequence of, of them not being there. And it was the first one because, of course, the Scottish League was suspended and declared null and void effectively last season. And so this was the first game back with no fans for the old firm. And so it definitely, there was a lot missing from that point of view. But Rangers, yeah, dominated the game from the first whistle more or less and fully deserved three points. All right. I tell you what, we're going to pause it there. When we come back, we'll just wrap up with all the big games around Europe and talk about the midweek Champions League as well. Stay tuned. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For this season, off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Arvin Craig and uh, Cam Raslan here. Uh, Cam Raslan, we're talking about the weekend's big, big games. I, I don't know if you, you saw the Milan derby at all. I actually... I, I, I saw bits of this. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, never out of the headlines, is he? With, with a brace, and, and he, he was quite good. He was being Zlatan all throughout the game, doing his kung fu kicks on, on opponents and stuff. Um, AC Milan, top of the table. That's like a throwback to the old days. Yeah, I'm really not sure why you're asking me this, uh, Ross, <laughs> but I would, I would just say uh, credit to... Uh, to Ibrahimovic because he he had COVID nineteen, um, yeah. and he's recovered. Poor COVID nineteen. That's what he said. He said, "Yeah, COVID nineteen will be sorry it took me on." Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, uh, can I take a pass on this one, or can I call a friend? <laughs> I don't know. How does it well, work? Well, a thousand fans turned up inside the San Siro to see uh, both goals from Ibrahimovic. Uh, bad one for Inter to lose. Uh, let's move on and, and talk about uh, La Liga, where Two major shock results, Arvin Sidhu. Uh, Getafe won Barcelona nil, Real Madrid nil, Cadiz won. I said Cadiz won. <laughs> um, can you explain those, those score lines? Uh, both teams wearing pink. A jersey colour. <laughs> there you football go. Teams shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't try to wear wear on their pitch. I mean, of course, granted it is for for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so it's a good initiative. But Real Madrid playing at home against Cadiz, I watched that game. They were absolutely horrible at home, uh, on the first half. They, it, it took Zidane, he had to make four substitutes during, during halftime, and it, it, it improved them slightly. But again, the problems are there which have not been rectified. It's surprising when you look at a, a, a COVID uh, transfer window, Real Madrid have not signed a single player. It's very unbecoming of Real Madrid. They've not signed a single player because... They've got huge aspirations for the next window with Kylian Mbappe and a huge operation that they're trying to launch. But they were really bad in the first half. Second half, they got a bit better. Karim Benzema hit the bar. But Cadiz, that, that is like what dreams are made of, right? Get promoted. Absolutely. You get promoted. And they had uh, ex-Real Madrid player Alvaro Negredo there. He, he helped assist the goal. So that was good for Madrid. For Barcelona, um, it's tough. Getafe are such a physical team and they yeah. press you and they kick you all over. But the problem that Koeman has is again the problem that France has, and that's Antoine Griezmann. He is, he is someone who I think has lost a lot of his ways in football. He, he goes around saying, you don't play me in the correct position. And when they do, they did that on the weekend. He didn't perform. Antoine Griezmann's got a lot to look at himself in the mirror at this moment in time in his career. All right. The, the rough, the, the, in, in a nutshell, your big games over the weekend. There's still a couple of games to go in the EPL. West Brom take on Burnley. Uh, it, it's a 12.30. I'm not sure if I'll be watching this one, Craig Wookie. I'll be honest with you, because the IPL's on again. <laughs> so what's I, on again? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I, you, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm yeah, relegation six-pointer already, isn't it? It is a relegation six-pointer. <laughs> Both teams looking for, for the first wins of the season. West Brom may give a debut to the new signing, Carlin Grant. 
Uh, he's signed from Huddersfield. Uh, he's come via Charlton. Now, I actually know Carlin Grant's quite a useful player, so I hope I hope it works for them. I actually prefer the the baggies to the clarets. Yeah, they, their style of play is a bit more attractive, isn't it? I both of these sides have made very very poor starts to the season. Burnley, I do worry about because I I look at that squad and I look at that team and you wonder where the goals are going to come from to to keep them up. There's a there's a lot of reliance on Ashley Barnes. I don't know if he's quite fit and able to, to lead that line to, to give them what they're going to need in order to stay in the division. So they're going to have to rely on, on being tight and trying to nick points here and there. I think they're a club who will suffer for the fact that there's no fans in the stadium. You know, it's, their stadium is a difficult place to go when yeah. it's hostile and, and the fans are in and they're, they're making that noise. But the longer it goes on, the more they'll suffer as a consequence of that. You know, the baggies, they play some, some decent football. The problem is they leave themselves far too open at the back. That's been, mm. that's been their issue since they, they came up to the Premier League. We'll see to what extent Bilic can maybe try and sort that out. Um, but I, so I would make them slight favourites for this game, but big game already in, at this stage of the season for both of those clubs. Yeah, it, it's the early kickoff tonight, or rather early tomorrow morning. Half past midnight, that one, West Brom against Burnley. At 3am, it's Leeds United against Wolves. Uh, are you going to be watching that, Cam? Leeds have been great fun. They have. They have. And Wolves um, are still uh, doing well. Uh, Maybe not the the same heights as they have in the past. But I am, yes, I am really looking forward to this one. Leeds is is one of the clubs I'm beginning to discover. And so I haven't really been able to put my finger on what it is they're doing. But it's it's really enjoyable watching this this new uh, way of playing it, and I, I want to know what Arvin. Uh, how many goals he thinks they're going to win by? I, I I think it's 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 a credit to how well Leeds have have acquitted themselves. The the fact that they look like a Premier League side, Arvin. I mean, there's talk that Rafinha could make his debut in this one. You excited? Very much so. Um, if you would have given Leeds fans the fixtures that they had to start out the season to get seven points out of 12 has been a really good outlay so far for a promoted team. Really good outlay. They've shown their class against the likes of Sheffield United and Fulham. They they took it to Man City. I honestly think they could have gotten all three points against City and then Liverpool, it was a bit of inexperience coming back after 16 years. But this is going to be an enticing battle. Both, both, both the managers are so tactically astute, I believe. Bielsa will have this figured out. Uh, the slight concern for Leeds is at centre-back. They probably will have the same partnership that played against Liverpool because Liam Cooper got injured over the yeah. weekend playing for Scotland and Diego Lorente got injured for Spain as well. So you're looking at young Pascal Stritch and uh, Robin Koch. So a bit of a young central defensive partnership over there. Uh, but again, Rafina is, is, is really exciting, but Pablo Hernandez is back and that's a big thing for Leeds as well because if there was anyone that got them promoted last season, would be Pablo Hernandez. So to answer you, Cam, quick one. Uh, it's going to be two-one to Leeds. Not nothing too 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 crazy than that. Wolves are hard to defend. Wolves are a tough team to break down. What what can you say about Wolves this season, Craig? I mean, they are tough to break down. Nuno Espirito Santo has done a great job, but what's expected of them this season? I mean, do you, do do they tell themselves we need a Europa League qualification by the end of the season? Is that the realistic target? Do you think for them? I'm sure that's the target. And they've set really high standards over the past couple of seasons. And they've been, you know, there or thereabouts in terms of the European qualifications during that time. And that's the sort of expectation that start to build up around the club. And they've brought in quality players in order to do that. I think the manager, as Arvin said, is very tactically astute. So he's, he's got them playing in, in a good way. And again, they'll be looking at this season and thinking of some of those strange results that we've already seen. Some of the big clubs being very up and down, struggling a little bit. So there is a chance for, for some of these, let's say, mid-tier teams to come through and maybe make a bit of a push, as Leicester did, at least to begin with last season. And we're really waiting to see who might emerge to be that team, I think, this season. Villa fans will be getting very excited early on that it might be them. I'm not sure that will last. Wolves might be a better bet, actually, to be a team like that. Even Leeds, the way that they've started the season so far. Who knows? But I think one of those type of clubs could definitely get themselves up challenging for Europe and even a little bit higher than that, potentially, if you can put a run together. And Wolves would be in that category for me. Even though they've had a slightly tricky start this season, they've got enough quality there. Yeah, it should be a cracker, that one. 3 a.m. kickoff, Leeds United against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Quick word about the, the midweek Champions League uh, taking place. 
Cam, you're going to be watching any of it? Uh, Chelsea are in action Tuesday or Wednesday 3 a.m. They take on Sevilla, who are winners of the Europa League, uh, of course, uh, last season. And um, well, I don't know, how do you think Chelsea will go in, in, the, in the Champions League? Will it be a welcome break from the Premier they, League for them? They're going to lose. They're going to lose badly. They're going to lay lots of goals because <clears throat> they can't defend. And Sevilla is precisely the kind of uh, team that can get in behind them. So I see, I, I see disaster for, for Chelsea. You say that, but Sevilla lost at the weekend. Granada won Sevilla nil. Sevilla currently 10th on seven points after four matches played in La Liga. That one's a 3 a.m. kickoff. Uh, undoubtedly, the standout tie of the Champions League this midweek is Paris Saint-Germain against Manchester United from Group H. Um, I, 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 I'm a United fan. I, I don't know how this one's going to play out. I, I'm kind of taking it as a bonus game, really, because for United, they're, they're still trying to get the season going. But um, PSG, a, a lot to fear about them, Arvin. Uh, they won 4-0 at the weekend. They're currently second on 15 points after seven matches played in France. And of course, when you got Mbappe and Co, uh, there's a lot to be frightened about. There is, but we, let's not forget that Ole, I mean, uh, he was able to, to they, they were still able to get across PSG quite recently as well. Um, on the day itself, PSG should start as slight favourites because of the experience of the fact that they've been able to be in a Champions League final last season where they came quite close to, 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 to winning the entire thing. But you're looking at, I mean, on the day in itself, I would assume that United probably, um, of course, Bruno Fernandes will help pull things in the middle, but in these kind of games, you probably need a bit more of an experience. There's a reason Pogba didn't start on the weekend. There's a reason why Fred was there. Pogba will be brought into the game. And these are the type of games that you need the likes of Paul Pogba to step up. Can he do it? That's another question in itself. Alex Tellas could come in for Luke Shaw, who was very unfortunate with their own goal, like we talked about, but yeah. would probably be worried about his place at the back. So yeah, an interesting one. I, I, I still feel it'll be quite close, but PSG go for slight favourites on this one. Well, Adinson Cavani <clears throat> apparently is in training for Man United. He is available. Anthony Martial is available as well because uh, his ban only applies to the Premier League. It should be a, a tasty game, uh, uh, that one, PSG uh, against Man United. Um, Man City take on Porto. Uh, Porto drew 2-2 with Sporting at the weekend. They're second in uh, the Portuguese league. City... Need uh, City and Pep, Craig Wilkie, need the Champions League. You, you, you get the feeling that's the one because they've done the Premier League. This is the one they want. But you get the feeling they're not really quite good enough yet. Yeah, I think the worry is they look further away to me. Uh, City, Pep was, Pep was brought in to win the Champions League. It was as simple as that. And people always then say, well, is he a failure because he hasn't? And I say, no, he's not a failure because he hasn't won it. He's a failure because he hasn't come anywhere close to winning it with City. That's the real surprise. And the, the chance that they blew was a couple of seasons ago when they had the quarterfinal against Spurs, where Spurs went all the way to the final. That was City's real chance because they would have played Ajax in the semis. I think they probably would have got through that game. But apart from that, they haven't really looked like winning it. And when I look at their squad now, even looking at the bench at the weekend of who they might have brought on to try and influence the game against Arsenal... For all the money that's been spent, yeah. there's still a little bit of a lack of depth there. And so when it comes to looking at Champions League level, City, uh, City are further away to me than they were a couple of seasons ago when maybe two seasons ago in the draw, people were saying, I don't, I don't want to face City. Now, I don't think teams are that scared of coming up against Pep and City right now. Okay, that's a Group C game. That one's a Wednesday night, Thursday morning kickoff. Man City, Porto, Thursday, 3 a.m., Ajax versus Liverpool, Cam. Say something about that. That, on paper, looks very, very tasty. It's... Oh, it do doesn't it just? I mean, yeah. just those names. I'm, I'm seeing from, like, 1970s onwards. <laughs> combine all those together. That is just good. It could be crazy. And we'll see. We will get... I will certainly get the opportunity to see a new breed of Ajax players who are going to be sold by the end of this season and bought by the likes of Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else around Europe uh, yeah. It's Thursday 3am Group D game that one Mitterland also playing Atalanta at the same time In the Europa League uh, Arsenal are in Group B They're away to Rapid Vienna 
Uh, Dundalk of Ireland take on Molde in the other game. Leicester take on Zoria of Russia. Braga against Athens is the other Group G game. And Spurs take on Linsk, who had a lot of fun against Man United last year. Ludogorets against Antwerp is the other Group J game. That's it. We're, we're out of time. And I, I nearly smashed my, my microphone to pieces. <laughs> so let me, let me thank the guys. Thank you, Kamraslan. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Craig Wilkie as well. Thanks, Ross. Good evening, everyone. And thank you, Arvin Sidhu. Thank you, everyone. Sleep through West Brom and Burnley. Get up for Leeds and Wolves. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> you know it. That's why I left him to last. Um, have a great week. We'll, we'll talk about that Leeds-Wolves game on Friday. Bye now. Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.